the Bible about Saul and his son Jonathan, and they're at war with the Philistines, and they're in real trouble. They only have two weapons, two swords. Saul has one, Jonathan has the other. The Philistines have them outmanned and outpowered, and, and so Saul doesn't want to go to war, and he's procrastinating. He knows exactly what to do, but he doesn't do it. So in the middle of the night, Jonathan wakes up his armor bearer, and he says to him, let's go over to the Philistine side. And what I love about this particular moment is that Jonathan didn't know whether he would succeed. He didn't know if he would fail. He didn't know if God would give him victory or whether he would die in the effort. He just knew that sleeping through life was not the solution. It was not an option. So he got up and he picked the fight. He went to accomplish what God wanted to get done. He didn't know if in this moment God would come through, but he knew that somebody just needed to do something. A significant part of our spiritual journey is that we just have to take initiative. We can't just sit passively by. There is so much good to do, so many opportunities, so many things that if we were proactive and, and took initiative, could see God work through our lives. I think we use prayer as an excuse not to act. I think we, we use a sense at times of waiting on the Lord, but really what's going on is that God is waiting on us. Sometimes the best advice we can get is to act, to just do something. Isn't that true? Like so often we are stifled by our excuses, right? And for me, the number one excuse that I use is fear of whatever it may be, fear of being rejected, fear of um, actually talking to somebody I don't know, um, fear of crossing that bridge to a place uh, where somebody does not agree with me or I may be seen in a certain light, whatever it may be, fear causes me to not act, right? But what fear also does is it causes me to waste my time coming up with more excuses. And then I'm so exhausted coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse that I never actually act. When here's the deal, the Bible says that you have not been given a spirit of timidity you have been given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. The Bible also says that there is no fear in love, that perfect love, and we know that the only perfect love that there is, is from Jesus, is from God, right? His perfect love casts out fear, right? But like, do we believe that? Do we believe that his perfect love casts out fear? When I am afraid, I heard it said one time, when you are afraid, you can always trace it back to some lie that you are believing, right? So when, you, when, you, when, when the Spirit of God prompts you to act, and then poof, you don't because you're afraid, and you start making up these excuses, right? When you start making up excuses for not acting, here's what you should do. Figure out what you're afraid of, right? What are you afraid of? Like, ask God, God, reveal to me what I am afraid of. Because I know, I know that you promised that you would give me what I needed to do this, right? That's a prom. He gives us what we need to live godly lives, right? So when I am afraid, I have to trace it back to some lie from Satan that I'm believing, right? And oftentimes, I heard a quote this week that um, 
Heather, she's made, she started making these plaques for me that I could put up in my office of things because we, we, uh, there's so many things that I want to remember from day to day to, to like push me on in my Christian life. And the problem is a certain point and I say, I want to do that. The next day I wake up and I forget what it was, right? But there's this one, uh, this one quote that um, is going to go on a plaque in my office that said, oftentimes your pathway to success is straight through your greatest fear, right? Because sometimes the only way to actually get over your fear is to act in spite of it and then experience the fact that God helped you through it. Half the time we don't really um, overcome our fears because we don't take the first step. I can imagine when the nation of Israel was standing at the edge of the Jordan River, and they're going to cross this river, but it's still flowing, right? All they had to do, the priest had to take one step into the water. As soon as he took that first step of faith into the water, what did God do? He stopped the waters, right? God acted, but so often he's waiting for us to act and show that we believe. Right? And I can tell you this, that when you experience, when you start to experience the Holy Spirit's power in your life to not fear because you've acted in courage in spite of your fear, next time you can act again. 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 Right? Do you believe that you are filled with the very Holy Spirit that is God, right? When we say it's the Holy Spirit, we're not just talking about some mythical being, right? You are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be alive in you. But you have to act upon it as you seek to occupy your street. The question you have to ask is, do I really believe that? Let me pray for us. God, um, I just pray that this morning, God, whatever is holding us back from living the complete abundant life that you planned for us, God, whatever strongholds are in our way, in the name of Jesus, tear those down. God, whatever fear it may be, whatever guilt it may be, whatever lies we're believing right now in these moments, I pray that in the power of your spirit for every person in this room that you would tear those down. God, we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. All power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So we want to make his name great. God, help us to hold on to that mission. God, and to act, to get out there and experience the blessing of living as an active part of the kingdom of God. Father, we need you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to, second thing really, I want to tell you before we dig into today's passage is that we are having a ministry fair coming up. It is going to be in two weeks, all right, November 13th. And um, who's been to a ministry fair here before at Creekside? Raise your hand. Okay, we've, good, because we've had them before two, three years uh, in a row. And we believe that one of the best ways, one of the best ways for an individual to grow in their relationship with Jesus and to become more like Jesus is to serve. 
in some way. And the truth of the matter is we can't operate without you serving, right? The best, the best possible reason you could serve, though, is to become more like Jesus. And so we're going to have a ministry fair, and you get to come, and you get to find out what ways that you can serve in this, uh, in this church, what's available for you to do. Uh, maybe you didn't know uh, all the ministries that are going on at Creekside. Maybe you did, and you're just waiting for a nudge to get involved. Here's what also might happen. You may go to the ministry fair. You may go walk around to all the booths and be like, you know what? I really feel like God has gifted me to do this, but I don't see it here, right? We want to shape our ministry around the people that God has given us because we believe that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you a specific gift empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry it out. So we want you to be involved in ministry. There's a whole lot of reasons that we can all give not to be involved, right? The best reason to be involved, to become more like Jesus, and to serve him out of thankfulness by far outweighs everything else, right? So we want you to come to the ministry fair, and there'll be food there, so your excuses are gone, right? We're feeding you. Uh, I want you, everybody to stand up right now real quick. Just stand up. You're only going to be standing for about 30 seconds. Stand up, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and just in a voice say, prove it. Yeah, I like that. And now I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you that you chose second for whatever reason, um, and I want you to say, show me. With a pause, it has to be like this, okay? It has, show me the pudding. Show me the pudding. Good job. You can sit down. Good job. Today we're going to talk about being active with our faith. Here's what we've already talked about in the book of James. This is Mail from James, our series. We've already talked about considering joy through trials because we want what the Holy Spirit is producing in us as we go through the trial. That God never promised that we wouldn't struggle in this life, but he did promise to be with us through the struggle. We also talked about persevering, remaining steadfast, literally means bearing up under a weight of miseries with God's strength. Remaining steadfast and he will see you through until the day that he gives you the crown of life. And you stand before Jesus and you get to say, I'm done. No more suffering. No more pain. It's over. Right? Today we're going to be in James chapter 1. Again, it's probably still on the same page in your Bible as it has been the past two weeks. So turn to James. Um, it's after Hebrews, before Peter. Uh, and we're going to be verse 19 to 27, and then we're also going to go to a section in chapter 2. But just turn to James chapter 1. We'll be in verse 19. It'll be on the screen as well. James 1, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of of God. Somebody needed that this week, right? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your soul. See, there's a, a change that has happened in your life, right? You've received the planted word and you're turning away from these worldly things. There's a change. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, law of liberty, that literally means freedom from sinful appetites and passions. That's what the law of liberty means. The one who looks into the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Go over to chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Today we're going to call this message, The Proof is in the Pudding. The proof is in the pudding. Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase before, right? I've heard that phrase before a ton of times, and I always kind of knew what it meant, all right? But here's what that phrase means. In the, early, in the 1500s and 1600s, the original phrase, when that phrase was coined, what it came out of, the phrase was this. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Because in the, in the 1600s, pudding was not this creamy uh, vanilla or um, chocolate dessert, right? No. It was, it was a gross mixture of mushed together ground meats encased in sausage casing. It's kind of like a hot dog, right? Everybody loves hot dogs. Nobody wants to know what's in that, right? I'm serious. If, you tell me, but here's the thing. You tell me what's in a hot dog, I'm still going to eat it because they're awesome, 
right? But it's disgusting. Nobody really wants to know what's in a hot dog. But here's the deal. You can still buy meat pudding today. Check out this picture. This is what meat pudding looks like. You see that? Inside of there, you don't really know. You have no idea what's inside of there. Look at this next picture. You can still buy that today. That's unbelievable. But that is nasty. All right? That's disgusting. The deal is, in the 1600s, they did not have ways to keep meat fresh like we do today. So that meat pudding was often easily contaminated. The only way to know if it was good or bad was to eat it. The proof of the pudding was in the eating. You have no idea if it's good or bad. You had to eat it. The proof of the pudding, is it good or bad, is in the eating. You have to get inside and, and find evidence to see whether it was good or whether it was bad. But here's the deal. If you were hungry, you were going to eat it, right? And then you were going to find out if it was good or if it was bad. That's gross, right? Don't think about that the next time you eat a hot dog, all right? <laughs> but later the phrase was shortened to the proof was in the pudding. It really means show me, prove to me if you are good or bad inside, because I can't tell just by what you're saying. I can't tell just by the words coming out of your mouth. I need some proof. Here's the deal. The proof is in the pudding means that your words are empty without evidence. Right? I mean, that's what the world around us is going to believe. I don't know whether you're good or bad just because you go to church, right? Because you are probably the reason I don't go to church, right? i got to ask myself that question a lot. Like, am I pushing people away from God or towards him? There's plenty of passages in the Bible that teach that salvation is through faith alone, like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's belief, right? There's no action except to be believe through faith, believe. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And then Romans 4 says it is, not, it is not the one who works, but the one who believes that it is counted to that person as righteousness. So how can those passages and James 2, right? Contradiction. I'm out. Right? That's what the world's going to do. Because this book contradicts itself so many times if you don't actually know what it says. Right? The Bible is perfect and without error. We believe that, right? But to the world around us, that's a contradiction, right? God, our creator, knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows every little intricate thing about what you think before you even think it. What you say before you say it, what you act before you act it, he knows everything intimately about you. God knows if your insides are good or bad. Because he looks at you and he, sa he says, is this person covered by the blood of Jesus or not? Right? Has this person come to a saving knowledge of the blood of Jesus or not? Right? Through faith 
alone. But here's what we need to do, is we kind of need to redefine faith. Because James 2 says, faith without works is dead. And the, the word in the Greek that it uses for faith is, is, is pistis, right? And it literally means faith in the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that we are saved in Jesus. It's the good news that we are made new, that the old is gone, the new has come. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So if you're going to say that you are a follower of Jesus, you have been made new. You have been changed. Literally, the way God looks at you is different from the way he looked at you before. You, in essence, in the spiritual world, are a different person. Right? You are made new. Change. In every, in every respect of the word. And then Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, obey my commands. So our definition of faith needs to be belief plus actions. Belief plus actions. So we are justified before God by faith. He knows your heart's condition. I cannot and no one else can stand before you and say, I know whether you're going to heaven or not because I can see your heart. No, God is the only one that sees your heart. He's the only one that can judge the intentions of the heart. He's the only one that can say whether someone is saved or not, right? So that is true. By faith alone before God, you are justified. We're not talking about perfection, but we are saying that works, actions based on our faith, prove our faith. You get what I'm saying? When a person sitting next to you in the world outside the walls of this church look at you and look at your life, the truth is, the proof is in the pudding, right? What does this mean for us on the ground, like every day? Where does this meet us as we occupy our street? Raise your hand if you know the band DC Talk. Obviously, I am a fan of the band DC Talk. I've talked about them a number of times. But on the greatest album ever made, Jesus Freak, um, they say this, okay? DC Talk says this. They say, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who profess Jesus with their lips, then walk out their door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds so un. Believable. You see, your salvation doesn't have anything to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. But, first of all, your actions prove your faith. And you get to, you can be a part of leading someone else to Jesus for salvation when your actions match your words. Couple things. First, your faith is completed in thankfulness to Jesus by your actions. Faith is a whole bundle, right? Your actions prove your faith. Second, your faith, your you prove your faith to the world by your actions. People will not be able to tell if you are good meat or bad or bad meat until you open up, right? Until you start to show them 
This is not just lip service. This is what I am inside, right? They can't tell if you're good or bad inside, right? If they just look at you and listen to you from the outside. They can't tell that. So what other way is there to show the people on the outside, right? Show people who are far from God in your life as you occupy your street than to act, than to get up and do something, right? This book is the most important book that you will ever read, right? The most important book that you will ever read. It says of itself that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the point of division between bone and marrow. It means that for every situation that you are in, it is alive. It is alive. It is alive. It is the only book that has the power through the Holy Spirit to change your life. So it is absolutely important and integral to your faith, to your walk with Jesus, to your sanctification, which means you're becoming more like Jesus, that you get into this book. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Love this book. Know this book. But if you love it without living it out, I don't believe you love it. You get what I'm saying? You could tell me all you want. You love the Bible. You believe the Bible. You love Jesus. You believe Jesus. But I don't see it in your life. Do I believe that? Right? The proof is in the pudding. Verse 22 through 24 of chapter 1. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets at once what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, of, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, it makes absolutely no sense to look in a mirror intently, see what you see, walk away, and then immediately forget what you looked like, and because you're just going to do this all day long. My wife's like, you already do that all day long, right? <laughs> she was thinking it, I said it, all right? You get how much, how, how no sense that makes, that didn't make sense. You get how little sense that makes to do that. It's like doing this in my Bible. Got it. No, Jesus wants this. Got it. I'm, right? That's what the Christian life is about. That's what living on this planet as a part of the kingdom of God is about. One of the things that really excites Heather and I is when we see someone excited about their faith, and no matter how much they know, it's what they know they act upon, right? As they learn, they're excited about it, and then it's like, my goodness, next week I hear a story about how they acted it out. I'm like, who does that? Really, I'm like, who does that? You actually read it and did it? The problem is that that's, to, to me, it seems like that's too much of a fleeting thing, right? We should be hearing stories every single week, no matter how old in the faith or young in the faith you are, right? And I'm guilty of it too. 
just because I have to study this book to preach to you, if I leave this room, if I leave this platform right here and I go out and I don't do it, well not have heard a word I said, right? I'm not spirit can't convict you by it, but it's going to hold a lot less power coming from my lips if I don't get out and do what I tell you to do, right? You get what I'm saying? Francis Chan um, has this, he, he tells this funny story. It's not a true story, but um, it would be like this. He says this. It would be like if I told my daughter, go clean your room, right? Go clean your room. And she said, okay, I'm going to go clean my room. She walks up into her room. She looks around at the room, right? She looks at it, looks at it, looks at it, spends some time in her room, right? Goes back down, says, Dad, I'm done. Did you clean your room? No. But I went and I looked at it, like, and I thought about, I thought about what you said, right? I even, I even memorized what you said. Like you said to go clean your room. I know it, Dad. I know it. I know you said it. And by the way, I'm having a bunch of friends over uh, on Tuesday night, and we're going to study what it means to go clean your room, right? And then he says in the end, okay, that's cool. Tuesday night comes around. Dad, my friends are coming over. We, we are studying what it means to go clean your room. Great. Friends all leave. Hey, did you clean your room? No. But I remember what you said, right? It makes no sense. That's ridiculous, right? That's the kind of stuff that gets my kids in trouble, right? Don't play that game with me. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. Faith only makes sense when it's accompanied by actions, right? And then it becomes the most effective witness that it can be to the world around us. Because when we have words, when we say we believe something, when we claim to follow Jesus and we preach the word, right, but we don't back it up with actions in our life, when there's no evidence that I'm good meat that should be eaten, right? When there's no evidence of that, what does it do? It actually has the opposite effect on the people that we're trying to reach, right? Because what happens? The person who is lacking in food, right? The person who is lacking in food hears you say, peace be with you, go be warmed and filled. Then you never offer help. What, what do they think? Yeah, right. You don't care about me. You don't care about me. You never were planning on helping me. You don't care, right? And so anything that you could ever tell that person from that point on loses its weight. Because you lost them. We lost them, right? So if you're writing anything down, I want you to write this phrase down. Text it to yourself or whatever you need to do. But if you're writing anything down, write this down. Actions give a bullhorn to your faith. Actions give a bullhorn to your faith. Because you may be talking, but no one's listening. 
You may be standing in the middle of the square and screaming, but no one is hearing, right? Because you've given them no reason to listen. You've given them no reason to care, right? Because they can't really hear you. As soon as you pick up that bullhorn and you start yelling through the bullhorn, people are like, boom, what's going on? I'm listening now, right? Actions give a bullhorn to your faith. People see you put in action what you say you believe, what you preach, right? Then they're like, okay, now I'm listening. I hear you. Like, I'm listening. Tell me more. I want more. You find somebody that is cold and homeless and needy, and you say to them, go and be warmed. Go go with peace and be warmed and be filled, and you give them a jacket. You give them food, right? And they are blown away. And then you've opened a door of opportunity, maybe to tell them that Jesus loves them. Because if you tell them that Jesus loves them without giving them those things, and be like, yeah, right, I don't believe that, and I don't think you believe it, right? I mean, that's the truth of the matter. What's more believable in verse 18? Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. The proof is in the pudding. Show me. Show me. Go back to chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That example is an example of action that you get up, that you go visit, that you go, that you serve, that you do. James is specifically telling us that, yes, orphans and widows are close to the heart of God. I want you to serve orphans and widows, but that's not the only thing he's saying. He's also using it as an example of what true religion looks like. Real religion, right? Real religion, real faith is to be shown by your going, by your getting up and doing something. Go over to chapter 2, verse 20. I know we're bouncing around. I don't expect you to remember where we went. I just want to get this in your head. Verse 20, chapter 2. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? This is where it confuses people. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Seemingly a contradiction. But and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I mean, what, I don't, was Abraham justified by works or by faith? I don't get it. I'm confused, right? When we look at that word justified in this passage, the Greek word for justified in this passage 
is specifically, I can't say it, neither can you, so don't judge me, dekaio, unless you're a Greek student. But, um, and it literally means this, to bring out that one is righteous, to show, right? To show that you are righteous. Because God knows what's inside. God knows if what's inside is good or bad, right? But the language used here in James 2, James is using language of a human argument. Because in John and Ephesians and Romans, the passages that say one is justified by faith alone, salvation is through faith alone, by grace, right? Not of works, so that we can't boast, is justified their means to be made right before God. But here justified means to show that you are what you say you are. Abraham was justified to who? Right? He believed God and it was counted to him by as righteousness. Okay? He believed God. Then he backed it up by faith. Who else other than God was there to be justified before? Who was with him? When he sacrificed his son Isaac, Isaac was with him. Right? Dad, you, God told you to do this, right? But you're not gonna? That's a stain on Isaac's view of his father forever if Abraham didn't do that. So Abraham was now justified before his son, who ended up being saved by God because Abraham was faithful. Right? Because Abraham obeyed, he was justified before his son and he was justified before his whole family now have, and everyone that knew him now having this story to tell. I believe in God. I follow God. And guess what? I almost put my son to death to prove it. Right? Man, that holds some weight. That's what happens when we put actions to our faith. So at the same time that faith alone in Jesus saves us, God expects obedience from the ones that say they love him. We are justified. We are showing our faith to the world by our actions, becoming an effective witness for Jesus. Here's the sum up. Verse 19, my favorite verse in this whole entire section because it's got some power to it. I love this verse. Verse 19 of chapter 2 says, You believe that God is one. In the audience that he was speaking to, he's talking about monotheism. There's one God, not deism, two God. There's one God. And he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Kind of a pause. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus, but like the demons shudder, which based on what they know to be true of God is the only appropriate action for them. They should be terrified, right? Because the demons know who God is, and they know how powerful he is, and they know there's no way that they win this war. Satan's fate is sealed, right? And they shudder based on their position 
to God. Because of our position, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been made right. You have been justified by faith before God. The most appropriate action for you to do is obey. All right? The most appropriate thing for even the demons react appropriately. <laughs> right? It's not that the demons know what they know and then they react wrongly. No, the demons react appropriately. God is God, you're a demon, be scared. Right? God is God. We all deserve to be on our way to hell, but because of Jesus, we can be saved, we can go to heaven, and the only appropriate action is to live for him, is to put actions behind our words, is by the way I live my life, I get to become an effective witness for God in this world. Actions give a bullhorn to our faith. The proof is in the pudding. The band is going to come back up, and uh, we're going to take communion. These are just symbols, and I'm thankful for them, that Jesus gave us. He gave us the bread to represent his body that was broken for us, and the cup to represent his blood that was poured out for us. Blood that when, Je- when God looks at every single one of us, that's what he sees. Either you're covered by the blood of Jesus, right, or we're not. And so we get to now come before him and say, hey, when I take this, remember, remember, it's kind of like us saying yes to marriage to Jesus. When we take that cup, we say, yes, I will be committed to you for the rest of my life. Here's what I want you to think about as you take it today. I say, yes, right? I will be committed to you in not just my words, but my actions. God, I want to be an effective witness to this world, right? I want people to look at my life and say, He says he loves Jesus. I want to love Jesus too, right? Some of you need to make a first-time decision today to give your life to Jesus for salvation. You can't change your past, but you can let God change it because he says that he will wipe away all of our sin, past, present, and future, right? And then that choice sets our destiny for heaven for eternity. And some of us in the room need to start doing something. We need to give a bullhorn to our faith, especially because of what we're about to remember and what Jesus did for us. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we are loved by you. God, thank you that uh, you are our king. Thank you that Jesus was obedient to you to death on the cross. God, I just pray that as we remember Jesus' death for us, God, that as we are thankful for it, we are inspired and pushed by the Spirit's power to go out and even when we're afraid, act in courage and to do something for the kingdom of God, to make a difference, God, to to give a bullhorn to our faith. Father, we love you and we need you and thank you for Jesus. Help us to make his name great. In Jesus' name.
God, we believe that you are good. We believe that you are creator of the heavens and the earth. We believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and redeem us forever. You bought us back into rightness with you. We are justified by faith alone. But God, I pray for every person in this room that they would be that they would hear your words if you love me obey my commands God that we desire more people to know your love we desire more people to come into your kingdom God to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light to know your power God to save and so father I pray that you would remind us daily in your spirit of the power that we have through your spirit God that we act and we live not for victory, we act and we live from victory, God, that we have the victory in the name of Jesus. And so we will act, so we will get up and we will do something for the kingdom of God. We believe that you are mighty to save. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing this last song together.